to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. We've been in a conversation around influencers and taking a look around what it looks like to live a life of influence. And You know, we've talked about so many characteristics that can move you towards influence or that you can use to influence other people. You can certainly influence from a place of intelligence and outsmart someone, and that can be a space of influence. You can influence from a space of power, either that is given to you by role or that you just naturally hold in life. You can certainly influence from a place of charisma. Whoever is the most charismatic oftentimes has the most influence over a room or a community or a family. But... I found that there's one characteristic that's absolutely necessary if you are going to live a life of influence, and especially if you're going to live a prolonged life of influence. It's easy to influence for a moment. It's more difficult to influence for a lifetime or an extended period, or to say, I'm going to live a life that influences. And that characteristic that I found is resilience, perseverance, having this sense of grit within us, the ability to, to get knocked down in life and to get back up and to keep going. The ability to keep moving in the face of unthinkable circumstances, circumstances that seem overwhelming or horrific or that seem like they're going to take you out, but the ability to say, no, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep persevering. I'm going to keep moving forward. See, because what I found is that for most of us, we are influenced by our circumstances, that we find ourselves in a specific circumstance and that defines who we are. Life hits us. We don't like the way things show up. Heck, we don't like how people show up in our lives. And we find ourselves being influenced by the events that are taking place around us. I was working with someone just a few months ago, and they were longing to transform a relationship that uh, had been broken in their lives. And we were on a call, and they had made a commitment to have a conversation with this person to start the restoration process. And we get back onto our next coaching call, and I said, how did it go? And, and they said, I, I just I couldn't have the conversation. I you couldn't? Really? What happened? Did you lose your voice? What, what's going on here, right? He said, I, they just made me so mad that I could not say what I needed to say in that moment. How many of you have ever been there? Like, I'm just so mad, I can't say what I want to say. And I asked him, I just said, oh, I didn't realize you gave them that much power. He was even more mad with me. <laughs> he didn't like that. See, because in that moment, I asked him to notice, oh, do you notice how much that person influences you? Their actions, their words, their decisions are actually informing how you live your life. And they're actually at the driver's seat of your life now, not you. They're actually informing how you're going to choose to live, how you're going to speak, how you're going to engage, and what you're not going to engage. See, for most of us, we go through life reacting to people and reacting to situations and allowing ourselves to be influenced by the situations that we find ourselves in. This is why two people can go through the exact same circumstance and have very different experiences on the other side. We all know people 
who have been through horrific circumstances, the same horrific circumstances, and one will come out elevated and one will come out uh, down and out as a result of going through those circumstances. See, because resilient people recognize that they define their circumstances, that their circumstances do not define who they are. And one of the greatest predictors of living a resilient life, of living a persevering life, is living from a space of hope, which is much easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier for a motivational speaker to get up and just say, just have hope, right? It's different to actually live from that space. After all, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So it would make sense that hope is connected to this conversation around faith and what it looks like to live a life of influence. And most of our conversation has actually been leading up to this point, that if we can actually put our trust in a God who is going to show up when things seem impossible, then there's a space to believe in the promises that he has given to us and therefore put our hope into whatever he says he is up to in our lives. Then we can put our trust in him. We can recognize that when it feels like the story is over, it isn't yet. That when it feels like this is where things get dark and the end has come, that it's not actually the ending quite yet. So how do we get there? How do we get to a space where our lives are defined by hope and we live in a space of resilience and perseverance and grit? Let's be honest. How many of you have areas in your life that you're just afraid to hope for? I I do. There are so many areas in my life where I've just decided it is better to live in despair than it is to hope again and lose. That it is better to not dream and not be let down than to dream and feel the sting of defeat, to feel the sting of hopelessness, to feel the sting of once again not getting what we long for or not having God come through for us or not getting what we thought we were promised in the middle of that. There's a quote from Shawshank Redemption that I love talking about hope. And it says, let me tell you something, my friend. This is Red talking. He says, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Because I think we've all had those moments where we hope and we hope and we hope. And maybe there are some of you like me in this room that there are things that you've been hoping for for decades. And you're wondering, is God going to come through? Is he actually going to show up? Is there actually going to be a possibility? Is something going to move here in the midst of this? So how do we move towards being a person of hope so that faith can be released in our life? so that freedom can be released in our lives and we can actually become the influencers that we were designed to be rather than just be influenced by the circumstances that we find ourselves in and constant reacting to peoples and places and things in our lives. So we come to this moment in Hebrews chapter 11, start verse 23. Actually, it's a story that most of you should know. Even if this is like your first time in a faith context, you've probably heard this story before, but it says, by faith... Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid because of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He disregarded disgrace for the, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward." By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. 
Now Moses, he was, he was born a Hebrew, and at the time, the Pharaoh found out that there was this prophecy that one of the Hebrew children were going to be the emancipator, and so he had all of the firstborn killed. And his mother, Miriam, puts Moses in this basket. He's floated down the river. He's found by an Egyptian princess. He's raised in Egyptian royalty as the prince of Egypt, hence the movie title. And he finds out along the way that he's actually Hebrew, that the people that are enslaved, that, he's, that his people, the Egyptians had been mistreating, are actually his people, and that he should be out there working himself, being overrun and overruled and beaten in the midst of this. And he actually leaves Egypt after killing one of the Egyptians in rage over what was taking place. And he has this encounter with God, and he comes back as this spiritual activist for the people of God. And in the midst of this, God sends plagues, and he empowers Moses to speak directly to Pharaoh to take on the superpower of the world. And he eventually emancipates all of God's people It ended with the firstborn of all the Egyptians being killed in the middle of this. And then he goes off into this 40-year journey into the wilderness. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I wonder how many of us, if we were in Moses' position, when we're sitting there and one day it dawns on us, oh, I'm one of the Hebrews. I'm one of the enslaved people, would not just go, well, sucks to be them. Right? Right? I don't know about you, but I'm not like, oh, hey, let me, can, can I do a 23andMe and just make sure my DNA is good because maybe I should be out in the field making bricks out there. Why bother going through all of the problem of emancipating a people from a superpower? Why not just stay here and eat grapes and raise a cat and have a pyramid built to you and enjoy all of the pleasures of Egypt? Why leave the comfort of your position to make this moment happen? Instead, he chose to be mistreated along with all of his people. See, Moses had something that was absolutely required for resilience and influence. See, it's what actually called him out of the hamster wheel of his comfort as being the prince of Egypt and out of easy living and into a higher calling in his life. And see, what he had that most of us lack at times in life is elevated vision. That Moses could see things that most people couldn't see. And he could see further than most people were willing to see. Do you ever find yourself in destructive, predictable behavior and thought patterns, and you're no, you, like, you know they're destructive as you're engaging them? Let's be honest, right? All of us, right? I mean, how many of you have, uh, I, I know, I'm sure none of you have ever experienced this, but how many of you have ever been ordering food in the drive-thru, and while the order is coming out of your mouth, you're thinking, I should not be ordering this food? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever put your credit card out to buy something, and in your head, as you're swiping your card, you're thinking, I don't have the money to pay for this, right? Or, like, let's get more. How many of you are, like, how many of you ever lashed out at someone in anger, and while the words are coming out of your mouth, you're like, I am a horrible human being, right? I should not be saying these words. Only an ogre would be saying these words, and here I am, freely saying them, giving them without cost to anyone around me here. Or how many of you have reached for the addiction one more time, and in the middle of it, you're like, I know this feels good right now. In just a few minutes, I'm going to feel horrible from the result of this. How many of you have engaged that thought over and over and over again, and you know it's just making you worse and worse and worse and disempowering you over and over and over again, and you keep engaging the thoughts, or you replay the bitterness over and over and over again, the moment of betrayal, the moment of hurt, the moment of letdown, and you keep going back to it, and you know it's not actually empowering you, it's actually disempowering you, and you keep engaging it over the time. The whole time we're asking, why am I doing this? 
See, it's not a matter of not knowing what's good for us in the moment. It's something completely different. Or maybe there is something that you don't do. And while you're not doing it, you know that you ought to be doing it, right? Like, how many of you have been in a moment where you're like, I'm supposed to speak up right now? I'm supposed to say something. I'm supposed to pick up the phone. I'm supposed to send the text message. And then you don't. Or I'm supposed to make the phone call. Or I'm supposed to get up and move. Or I'm supposed to make the budget. Or I'm supposed to get up and work. I'm supposed to plan. I'm supposed to schedule. I'm supposed to engage the necessary action to produce this hope in my life. And the whole time you're asking yourself the opposite question. Why am I not doing this? I know. I actually know what to do. In fact, let's just do a survey. In that area that you do the destructive thing, how many of you actually know what you need to do or not do? Raise your hand. You're like, I'm clear. See, it's not actually a matter of knowledge. I don't need to bestow some special wisdom on you today because it actually doesn't have anything to do with what we know to do or not do. See, we find ourselves here because we find we get in this grind mode rather than resilience mode. We just put our head to the grindstone and decide that we're going to turn this thing out ourselves, where we settle for the easy payoffs of the moment, usually because what is required of us seems or feels impossible in the moment. It feels like this is not going to happen, so why try? And so the circumstances feel overwhelming, and they feel hopeless. And so we start telling ourselves the lie, why even try to start or stop? Because it's not going to turn out. So our eyes then move and they become fixed on whatever is the immediate reward that we can find. We, we just decide this is where we're going. Because here's the thing. Here's what I know about the human mind is our human minds do not like complexity. We will find ourselves moving towards simplicity whenever possible. It's why the idea of 31 flavors of ice cream is nice until you get to Baskin-Robbins. <laughs> See, it's easier when you're at In-N-Out and it's just like chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry, right? It's harder when you're like, here's the, here's the five flavors of Oreo. Which one do you want, right? Because our minds like simplicity and it's attempting to constantly simplify things for us. Our minds also do not like uncertainty. And when left to our own ways, we will move towards certainty whenever possible. So we will do whatever is possible to get out of uncertainty and to get out of complexity. And so when we find ourselves in a space where we're like, I don't know if this is going to turn out. I don't know if I have what it takes. This feels impossible. I don't know if I want to hope again. We move towards things like comfort and avoiding pain and not exerting energy. Whatever makes us feel good in the moment, whatever is the quickest fix to remind us that we're still alive in the middle of this. Meanwhile, we minimize the prices that we and other people are paying as a result of not engaging or engaging the action. See, because how many of you have ever, like me, not done the thing that you know you are called to, or you've done the thing that you know is actually creating destruction in your life, and you've thought, well, this doesn't really affect anyone but me. And it doesn't even really affect me that much. And then we give ourselves an out because we elevate the moment of pleasure or avoiding pain or comfort or feeling good in the moment and we minimize the suffering that we are causing not just on ourselves but on everyone around us. It's no big deal. It doesn't really affect anyone but me. It's just a small thing. See, and Moses multiple times could have easily done that. He could have stayed put in Egypt and said, you know what, it's not really my place to go emancipate a people. I, my life was hard. 
My mom gave me up for adoption. She didn't even give me up for adoption. She abandoned me in a basket and put me down a river. And then I find myself stuck here. And all my people, I'm like, woe is me. I wonder for how many of us, we look back on our history and we say, I get an out because... I get an excuse because, and Moses easily could have done that just like every single one of us in the middle of this. It would have been much easier, much more predictable. But the Hebrews say that he chose to be mistreated rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin in the moment. He would rather have been disregarded for the sake of Christ than have all of the treasures that Egypt had to offer. How do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we're like, yeah, I'm not interested in this? It's going to cause me all kinds of suffering, and it's going to cause me all kinds of pain. It's going to cause me all kinds of heartache. I might even have to go to the wilderness for a minute, but I'm up for this. How do we remove ourselves from the predictable choice of easy and having the resiliency to get back up when life hits us over and over and over again to live with this unshakable hope that constantly moves us forward? See, here is the key to living like this, and it is all over this passage in Hebrews. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I love that about Moses. I mean, there are so many cool phrases in here, but that's like, that's like X-Men power stuff, right? <laughs> he saw him who is invisible. See, Moses, he looked at the comfort of the moment, and he looked at all of the choices that he could have made that were easy, and that could have brought him all kinds of power, and that could have settled his life down, but he actually was not concerned about any of those in the moment. Moses wasn't concerned about his reputation as one of the princes of Egypt. He could have cared less about the moment and how it was going to turn out in the end, because he could see past the circumstances that were right in front of him. He was playing a much bigger game. He was willing to elevate his head out of the current circumstances that he found himself in, and he could see the future because he was looking to something far bigger than just the circumstance and the events and the people that were right in front of them. See, at times, I'm sure he didn't know how or what or if this was going to turn out in any way, shape, or form. I'm sure at times he felt crazy. Like, I just left the palace with all of the luxuries, to be here in the desert, to hear from God, to send me back to speak to the superpower of Egypt, to release my people. But he kept looking. He kept his eyes fixed on him who is invisible in the circumstances, and it elevated everything about him. It pushed him into a different realm of being human in this moment. And I love that as we move through Hebrews 11, we get to this passage, Hebrews 12, which 12 usually comes after 11. And it says this, right after this hall of faith, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love that, that Moses, in the midst of his circumstances, decided that he was going to fix his eyes on him who was invisible, and that was going to call him to a higher level of being human than he was before that moment. We, uh, the neighbor family gets to go to Disneyland about twice a month, and uh, it's, it's, we have no other entertainment budget besides that, so we're a little bit of a cult fan, and, and so uh, we 
go there quite often. And Jackson has developed a recent uh, phobia, that might not be the right word, some, some nervousness around going on the teacups. He went on the teacups, went a little too fast for him, freaked him out, and then he refused to go back on. And Colin, on the other hand, who does not like to go on any thrill rides, loves the teacups, and when we get on there, we can't go fast enough. And so Jackson has not wanted to go on when I'm on with Colin, because we go as fast as we can, and so it's a whole ordeal. Very stressful at Disneyland. And so this last time, I took the boys. It was just me and the boys. It was a boys' night out, and uh, Colin's like, let's go on the teacups. And I said, I can't. Mom's not here to watch Jackson. And so Jackson said, I'll go on. I'll do it. All right, I, I, you don't have to, buddy, but if, I'm, I'm all up for this. As a dad, I'm like, yes. So he gets in, and Colin's going faster, faster. And I can tell Jackson has this deer in the headlights look in his eyes. And uh, I'm trying to figure out what to do as a dad. I'm thinking, is this one of those moments where I like push him? Or is this moments where I comfort him? I know what Marla would do. She would be like, stop the teacup. But, uh, <laughs> but in the moment, I asked him, I was like, are you okay? And he said, everything's dizzy. Everything's dizzy. And I told him in that moment, I said, all right, just keep your eyes right on me. Just keep your eyes right on me. And I'm going to go faster because Colin's over here screaming, faster, faster. So I'm just, please keep your eyes right on me. I said, if you keep your eyes on me, the rest of the world won't be as dizzy. And he, he, he I kid you not, he was, <laughs> he was very serious, right? And we got off the teacups and he said, it worked. It wasn't as dizzy. And then he said, can we go again? And I said, yes, let's go again. And we get in the teacup, and he sits down. And the second he sits down. In fact, the ride was over, and he's still. I'm like, buddy, we're good. You can, you can like, drop the gaze. It's, it's weird now, right? <laughs> but I, I, there was a phrase that stuck out to me, that stood out to me when Jackson was saying that to me last Tuesday. When he said, when I look around, the world gets fuzzy. And I thought to myself, oh, this is what happens to us. Is that we start engaging the circumstances of life and we're spinning out as a result of them. That we don't know how they're going to turn out. It doesn't feel great. And the world starts getting fuzzy. And when we find ourselves fuzzy, when the circumstances feel fuzzy, and when life starts getting fuzzy and we don't know what's in front of us, that's the moment where we fix our eyes on Jesus, where we start looking, where is he who is unseen in the middle of this? And how do I keep my eyes fixed on him? Because see, when we keep our eyes fixed on him, the fuzziness starts to disappear and it elevates our thinking. It moves us from focus on the moment of what's happening and the future that is coming and promised to us. See, because when the pharaohs of life come after us, in this moment when our eyes are fixed on him, we will have the grit to keep moving forward. We will have the foresight to keep pressing on towards what's next because the invisible God becomes more real and tangible and trustworthy and keeping of his promises than all the chariots and horses that Pharaoh can throw at us. And we find ourselves pressing forward because we are a people with a promise. And we get to keep our eyes fixed on that. See, Moses overlooked all kinds of comforts and ease and pleasure and the fame of Egypt. And he just kept his eyes locked on him who was invisible. 
in the middle of this, and he just kept looking ahead because nothing else mattered in the moment, and he got up over and over and over again, and he kept going, and he kept pressing on, and he kept persevering, and he should have quit multiple times. I'm sure there were a couple of times where he was like, this is crazy. I, I, I can't go back to Pharaoh. Let's just go set up camp in the desert. That'll be nice. We'll have our own little Joshua tree situation going on, right? Whatever it may be. But there were all kinds of reasons why he should have given up, but he refused to let his circumstances define him or what was possible. He just refused to allow that to happen. And Moses saw God, and a result of seeing God, Moses then saw and lived in the miraculous. See, in the middle of setting his people free, he would part the Red Sea and walk across on dry land. He, he would tap rocks with his staff and water would come out right when he needed it. He would have his meals just provided daily by God whenever he needed them every single day. He, he released his people eventually into the promised land and he saw the miraculous over and over and over and over again. See, I, I think that if I was to ask most of us in this room, would you like to see God? The answer would be yes. I think for most of you, if I asked, would you like your life to be defined by the miraculous? Would you like your life to be a constant stream of unexpected bursts of unexplainable hope? That would probably be a yes. But how do we get there? How do, how do we get to the space where we see God? I was at a business conference yesterday, and at lunch, I was in line at a food truck, and there was this woman in front of me and I asked her what she did, and she said, well, I, I, I write, and I, I live sometimes in Canada, and sometimes I live in Mexico, and sometimes I live elsewhere. And she goes, I just have visions, and I go where God calls me. It's like, okay, that's special. You know, and she's, yeah, sometimes God calls me to move here, and then sometimes he calls me to move there. And I just, all these crazy things happen, and, and I'm writing this book about it. And I'm like, how long have you been writing your book? And she said, 10 years. I was like, when do you think you'll be done? I don't know. Whenever the vision comes and tells me I'm supposed to be done. And she goes, do you have visions like that? And I said, no, I don't have visions like that. <laughs> See, because I think most of the times when we hear phrases like Moses seeing him who was invisible, we think that. Like he has some bizarre, random vision where God comes to him and, and speaks to him. There were burning brush moments in his life. He gets a pass. But I think most of us are frustrated because we're like, how do I see him who is invisible? How do I actually encounter this God who is willing to connect with me in a way that produces perseverance and hope and resilience and grit so that I can actually see past the circumstances in front of me. See, I think most of us are excited to see God. Most of us are excited to live a life that is filled with miracles. We're like, bring that on. We're less excited about the context that God calls us in to see him and have the miraculous happen because the context for that is sacrifice. That's the context. If you're someone who's like, I want to see God, I would love to see him who is invisible, and I would love to live a life that is filled with the unexplainable, that every day I wake up and I'm like, man, what's going to happen today? See, the context that we see over and over and over again in the scriptures, especially in Hebrews, is that these were women and men who were willing to sacrifice 
See, most of us want a miracle, but we're not willing to enter into spaces where a miracle is actually needed. See, we, we like to keep tight control over our lives. And we avoid the lows of life. Let's not let things get too out of control. Let's not let things get too despairing. Let's not get things too crazy. Or we avoid the highs. Let's not hope too much. Don't get your hopes up. Don't dream too hard. Don't envision too much because you might be let down and we keep our life in this very small, predictable, controlling box that we have complete control over it. But we still want a miracle in our lives. We still want God to show up. We want to see him who is invisible. And see, the problem is is that when we keep our lives in this tight, controlled box, God looks at us and says, you don't need me. You got it. Apparently, you're not interested in entering into a space where you need me to show up. And then we wonder why we don't see God. And we wonder why our lives feel lackluster. And we wonder where all the wonder is in our lives. See, because he doesn't need to be seen if you got it. See, if you want to see God, get to a place where he needs to show up. See, Moses sacrificed the treasures and the pleasures of Egypt to pursue a new future for his people. He gave all of it up. He was like, I am willing to sacrifice a life life of power and luxury and having everything that I need at my beck and call, and I'm willing to give up all of the treasures that my future holds in the middle of this as he kept his eyes fixed on him who is invisible, and he sacrifices this life of ease for a life of meaning. And now he gives up all of the treasures and pleasures of Egypt, but he takes on now a life that is filled with purpose and meaning and hope and a future in the middle of us. And he keeps his eyes fixed on him who is invisible. And there is some immediate suffering that always comes with sacrifice. Which, when I say sign me up for a life of seeing God and sign me up for a miracle, people are like, yes. When I say sign me up for a life of suffering, not as many hands. But there's actually this cycle that the scriptures give us. There there are very few times where the scriptures give us prescriptions, which is an annoying thing for me. I would just love it to tell me what to do. It doesn't oftentimes do that. But in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, it says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame. In other words, there's nothing to be ashamed of when you're living in a space of radical hope because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, as we sacrifice, and in the sacrifice, we suffer momentarily, when we're willing to enter into those spaces, we're like, okay, God, I'm willing to give up the momentary pleasure of sin. I'm willing to give up the momentary treasure of feeling good or being in control or having my life turn out the way that I want it to or doing what seems right in my own eyes here in this moment. As we're willing to sacrifice that, what is produced inside of us is perseverance. See, perseverance is doing the right thing over and over and over again. See, earlier you actually said what you, you know what you need to do. It's not a question of that. See, you actually don't need more knowledge. What you need more of is perseverance. To be, say, to be in a space where you're saying, 
I will do this that I know to do over and over and over again, even when it gets hard. See, when you find yourself fuzzy from the circumstances of life, the great thing is you just get to ask yourself, What's, what do I need to do? What's the next right thing? What do I need to do? And guess what? Just do that over and over and over and over again and keep doing it. See, the great thing is that is actually the only thing that you are called to do is to persevere. That as you suffer and as you sacrifice what feels good in the moment for this future that is calling you, and as you persevere in the middle of this, it actually produces what the scriptures call character. It strengthens who you are at your core. See, here's what I know to be true also about human beings is that we are anti-fragile. I know this goes against our modern cultural narrative, but there are certain things in life that are fragile like a wine glass. We human beings are opposite. We are anti-fragile, and that means that as we take hits, we were actually made to get stronger. That you absorb that energy, and it actually is designed to elevate your life. That as life comes at you, you take in all of that that was coming at you, and it actually makes you stronger as a result of that. How many of you can look back on your life and say, I went through really hard things that I would not wish on my worst enemy, and on the other side of that, I came out stronger as a result of that? How many of you would say that in the room? All over the room. Yes, because we human beings are anti-fragile. We were made to get stronger with each hit of life. But here's the thing. The choice is yours whether that hit takes you out or elevates you. That's up to you. And the key ingredient that transforms that is this calling to live a life of perseverance. See, the, the hit will either take you out or it will build you up, but that is depending on who you are looking at in the moment. Do you allow the world to get fuzzy or do you keep your eyes fixed on him who is invisible? See, because there's a big difference between persevering and enduring in life. See, I think most of us, we are just enduring life. See, perseverance actually heads into the storm, and we're pressing through the storm, and we're keeping our eyes fixed on him, and that's usually when he shows up, because he goes, great, now you need me. Now you need me to show up. And he shows up in the middle of our persevering and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we allow the storm to refine our character, to shape in and strengthen who we are. And that's from that place, you get to define your circumstances. You get to add meaning to your circumstances rather than your circumstances adding meaning to who you are. Endurance. Endurance is simply sitting in the storm, riding it out waiting for it to be over, waiting for life to somehow either end or allow you to get through this so that you can go back to existing. And here's the thing, you may survive, but in the process, you'll probably be torn apart and injured as a result. And you will come out having your circumstances define who you are rather than you define the circumstances in your life, allowing them to elevate you. And then the beautiful thing that the scripture says is that as your character is formed, as you're persevering in the midst of the hope, that your character will be defined and that hope is what is actually released inside of you. See, because hope is knowing that the story does not end in tragedy. Hope is knowing that no matter how dark things get, that light is coming 
Hope is knowing that, that whatever is right in front of me that seems impossible and it seems like it is going to take me out and it feels like nothing can help the current circumstance, it is saying I will look past the current circumstances into the future that God is calling me into and I will do nothing but keep my eyes fixed on him. And in that, your character is formed. See, here's the thing that most human beings have a hard time accepting. And we spend a lot of our energy attempting to get out of this reality that you will not get out of. And that is that you do not get to pick whether or not you suffer in this life. You will. To be human is to suffer. To be breathing, to be alive is to suffer. And so you will either suffer in the resistance to the suffering. You know what I'm talking about? The constant, like, no, I'm not going to let it get that bad. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to allow it to get too dark. I'm not going to let things get too out of control. I'm not going to let things get too crazy. And you will suffer in the resistance to the events taking place in your life. Or you will suffer the, the slow drip of pain that comes with choosing the easy way out. That comes with choosing comfort, that comes with alleviating all of the struggle, there's a slow drip of suffering that comes there. Or you will suffer from sacrificing a moment of pleasure. And you will suffer from a sacrifice of a moment of treasure that's offered to you. But by playing the long game, by persevering, by pressing through in the middle of that, by, by keeping your eyes fixed on him and allowing him to define who you are in the middle of the storm, allow him to speak into your lives and to paint a picture about what the future will be in the middle of that, that transforms any horrific moment into the substance that hope is made of. You will find yourself being filled with hope in the most darkest of moments. See, you will either be influenced by the storms in your life or you will be the influencer in the middle of them. The difference is who you keep your eyes fixed to. And you can allow life to become fuzzy or you can keep your eyes fixed on him who is invisible. And in the middle of that, he will elevate you he will transform what it means to be human. And he will take your suffering and he will make it the fertilizer for the most beautiful dream that you could ever imagine. If you're willing to persevere, to stay in it until you see the promised land. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who does not just alleviate our suffering, but that you take our suffering and you transform it into something profoundly breathtaking. And Jesus, I ask that right now that you would help us be people of perseverance. In fact, right now, wherever you're at, I just want you to think of that area that you are struggling to persevere in that area that you have just decided it's not worth it to hope 
It's not worth it to trust anymore. Maybe you've given up. Maybe you've decided that hoping was too painful. And so you just decided to settle for good enough. And I just want you to allow him who is invisible to speak into that area right now. To invite you to dream one more time. To invite you to elevate your eyes beyond the grind in the moment, beyond, beyond all of those internal conversations, those lies that have been spoken to you over and over and over again, those thoughts that you entertain that tell you it's not possible, that you'll never. And would you allow him who is invisible to reveal himself to you, to keep pressing forward, into the future that he's called you to, to elevate your eyes. Because suffering and sacrifice, when you're willing to persevere, produces character, and character will produce the hope that you're longing for. And this morning, if you're here or if you're with us online and you have not yet connected to Jesus, this is actually what it's all about. This isn't just a, hey, get in the grind and persevere. This is allowing yourself to be elevated by a God who has persevered already for you. Who the scripture said, for the joy set before him endured the cross that he suffered and sacrificed for you so that you could have your suffering transformed. And this morning, if you've not yet connected to Jesus, or maybe that's something you haven't done in a long time, maybe you found yourself here and you didn't even know it, but you recognize, oh, I need Jesus this morning. Would you just look up at me? All over the room. And if you're online, you can just type in the comments, Jesus, and I'll know what that means. And I want you just to pray this prayer. It's not magic words. It's just connecting to him. It's saying, hey, I, I'm, Lord, I give you my life. Just let him know that. I give you everything. I know that I'm broken. And you came and you died for me. And you came back to life so that I could live. I make you Lord. And I give you everything. I thank you for who you are and for who you've called me to be as a result of that. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.